welcome to this episode of HR Coffee Time. It's wonderful to have you here. I'm your host, Faye Wallace, a career coach and the founder of Bright Sky Career Coaching, where our mission is to help HR and people professionals have successful and fulfilling careers without working themselves into the ground. In this episode, you're going to meet Sue Colton, a business psychologist with an HR background. She is highly qualified in designing and administering psychometric assessments. Psychometrics can be used in a huge range of ways to help you achieve your people goals at work. They're incredibly popular as part of the recruitment process for hiring new talent at all levels, so from the junior level right up to senior exec level. And some of the many other things they're used for include leadership development programs, team building activities, and conflict resolution. Sue takes us through what psychometric assessments are, how they can be used, and what some of her favorites are. So whether you've been using psychometric assessments for years and know quite a lot about them, or you've never used them at all, or you sit somewhere in the middle and you've used a couple of them and know a bit about them, but you'd like to know more, I really hope this episode is helpful and that you enjoy it. Hi Sue, welcome to the show. It's so lovely to have you here. Hi Faye, thank you for having me. Looking forward to our chat. You're very welcome. And I thought we could start off our chat by me asking you to introduce yourself to everybody. Okay, well, hi everyone. As Faye said, I'm Sue Colton. I'm a qualified business psychologist with an HR background. So I started my career actually as a banker and worked for NatWest for quite a while and moved into HR which then became more geared towards a psychology element to that. So when I left there, I went to KPMG, where I really started focusing on behaviour profiling, which is what I do a lot of the time now. What really fascinates me is why people do what they do and what lies beneath. So I'm keen to help people get the best out of themselves um, and for the workplace to match up with that and allow them to be the best they can be too. I spend a lot of my time working with companies, sometimes executive search firms, when they're hiring or promoting people, doing behaviour assessment, using psychometrics, which I think is what we're going to talk about today. But I also sort of help design systems and processes that enable and sustain reciprocated employee engagement mechanisms. So it could be competency frameworks, staff opinion surveys, job families. So anything that helps improve the relationship between employer and employee. The psychological contract, I call it. Fantastic. Well, I'm so looking forward to our talk today. I'm very lucky, as in Sue lives around the corner from me. Uh So we get to meet up fairly regularly. And whenever I see you, I learn so much. And I just feel incredibly grateful that everyone listening is going to get to benefit from your incredible knowledge today too. Thank you for having me. And that is really sweet. And ditto, I do learn a lot from you as well. Oh, well, (laughs) I'm not sure, but we'll see. So I better crack on with the main part of the show and dive straight in by asking you to talk us through what psychometrics actually are. Okay, well, in a nutshell, as far as today is concerned, um, they are tools or instruments that help us provide objective evidence-based measurement of aspects of personality or ability. So although you can use psychometrics to measure all sorts of things, we're talking about personality types and ability. Ability tests would be numerical reasoning, verbal reasoning, all those kind of things you may have done at school, or where there is a right or a wrong, which is not so much what we're going to talk about today. We're going to look more at personality 
personality. So it's behavior profiling in this case, mainly used for selection of candidates and all development purposes. So you've given us a couple of examples of the sorts of things they can measure and assess. So how can they actually be used? Quite often we might be using them for, say, selection. It will be looking at the aspects of personality that lie beneath that might not be so obvious. So when people are recruiting somebody, um, the recruiter, which could be the actual hiring company or the search consultancy or recruitment company, they would do interviews that might assess technical ability, skill, behavioural, career history, so where they've been before. But not often do they actually get deep beneath the characteristics of an individual. So using psychometrics for that really help us understand the traits or the type of person that we're dealing with. So in that sense, we can then use them to look at the perspective fit the candidate has with the culture of the organisation or the team they're working within. If it's a leadership role, we can look at their leadership style. If it's a sales role, we can look at their sales ability. So it is also looking at approach to an impact on a team and or culture. It can also be used for individuals when they're thinking about what careers they might want to go into. So where their behavioural skills might best suit their long term career dreams. So for career development or even career assessment at a very early stage, so they can be used for at school or on school leavers or graduates um, to help them determine the best career for them. So it's looking at individuals preferences and behaviours, but not necessarily any one element. It might be looking at a broad range of things. Um, using, as I say, highly validated questionnaires, so ones that have gone through rigorous amounts of validity and reliability testing, which is a whole topic on its own for um, becoming accredited in the first place. So you do have to go through all of that kind of training. But what really rocks people's boat as well is it can look at where we go under stress and pressure. So the dark side, as it's known, and that's something that a lot of recruiters really want to know what happens when our best might derail and go from strength to maybe weakness so to find out those kind of things but they're interesting and if nothing else they increase people's self-awareness and when I first met you and you started talking to me about all of this I quickly realized I have never met anyone who is accredited or certified or qualified to administer so many different kinds of assessments it's incredible do you actually know how many you're qualified in Mm, well I I have tried to become accredited in one more every year just to keep up to date really once you've got a certain level of qualification you can do conversion courses and some of them will just let you almost be able to use them without any further training but that does defeat the object of the exercise they're all slightly different so normally I do an accreditation but maybe about 20 but there are thousands on the market um, some more reputable than others and to be honest, some I've trained in, although I'm qualified to use them, I'd really have to remind myself how they're made up if I was ever asked. So you do get into a groove of recommending the ones you know and use the most frequently. There's a good few that I keep close to my heart and I recommend as being highly valuable and accurate in terms of assessing behaviour. But I mean, I, I do also do things like 360s for people, which they're, sometimes they're bespoke and, and need to be more individually designed. Um, there's obviously the ability test as well but if somebody said to me oh we want to do we look at somebody's risk profile maybe in a asset management kind of role then I've got risk tools that I'd use specifically for that that might fall out of using a a more generic behavior assessment so they might go alongside or allow us to do another in-depth analysis on a particular aspect of work like as I say risk assessment 
So it depends very much what needs to be done. There's also situational judgment tests that we can use where you give people scenarios um, and allow them to work through that. So they're a little bit more qualitative than maybe quantitative. And also I do assessment centres um, and design assessment centres and they will include psychometrics, but as well as role plays, case studies, meetings, presentations, structured interviews. So that's when psychometrics actually fit into a much broader way of assessing ability and capability and typically they're used for graduates or for more of a mass intake role at maybe up to middle management level. Yes because listening to you talk everyone's probably going to realise that not only are you certified in using all of these different ones but you can actually design and create assessments specifically for a project or a person if you need to which is definitely not something I can do so I'm only certified at the moment (laughs) in using DISC I use it quite a lot. I really enjoy using it. I think it's absolutely fantastic. I would definitely like to get certified in using more, but I'm not sure I'm ever going to get to the point (laughs) that you're at, Sue. Certainly not. And I could not go in somewhere and say, oh, this is your requirement, so don't worry, I can design the perfect assessment for you. Hmm. I'm completely fascinated by this. How on earth do you do it? Well, I mean, I think with my... KPMG hat on of being a a management consultant as I was for a while the first thing is to understand what it is you want to achieve you know so what does good look like at the end and then work out where you are now and how you're going to get there and then the design bit comes into that so sometimes it might be purely about assessing key aspects of behavior other times it might be about sort of designing a building capability program as I have done whereby you're actually designing a competency framework for a whole company that would be used from junior to very senior people and then the competencies themselves would be used as part of the criteria for the psychometrics that we use so you know that's a much broader project and one I have done so designing the infrastructure first and then saying okay we've done all of that now we want to bring people into certain roles so what are the competencies and levels of competencies relevant to say the head of sales for an organization so then you look at the competencies you've designed and you design an assessment around those competencies and you can use psychometrics to help measure the level of competence behavioral competence that is on the individual's concern so it could be quite a broad project Um, but other times I might be rung up by a recruitment company that says you know we've got a CEO for a large charity and I do do a lot in the charity sector like that so I'm I'm doing more straightforward behaviour profiling I'll speak to the candidate they'll complete the assessments I look at the assessments I come up with a hypothesis I speak to the candidate and then I write a report and then I feed back to the panel which will include the hiring company company as well as the recruiters and I talk through each of the candidates following up on the reports I've written so that's quite a short project might last a couple of weeks as opposed to the competency design ones that might take four months no depending on the complexity and where you mentioned behavioral competencies there what kind of behaviors is it that you'd be measuring I think most roles there's always an aspect of measuring people's decision making ability the ability to deliver results I mean you'd think really one way or another whether you're measuring that specifically or under some other kind of heading you do need to look at what is necessary on a deliverable basis and how you can um, assess somebody's ability to do that I mean some people will do everything just in time very last minute they're more impulsive more maybe distractible which isn't necessarily a good thing but it would be a better thing in a creative role so if the role requires 
you know, high imagination and longer term vision, then creativity is great. I mean, we all need to be creative to a certain element. But if it's about delivering something by Friday on a regular basis, then you need somebody to be much more decisive. So we might be measuring aspects of that. I mean, certainly at a leadership level, you're measuring possibly things like strategic thinking, obviously their ability to lead a team and manage a team, but still how they manage the delivery of results, even if it's through other people, not directly themselves. Uh, so there's those kind of generic factors that will come into every role but obviously some are more attributed to leaders than maybe say salespeople or somebody actually doing a job in a different role or like a chief financial officer you're looking perhaps at more of their risk analysis ability um, or their analytical skills maybe more than you would be if you're in marketing and you're doing creative content writing the risk there is very different. Can you measure for potential because having done so much interview coaching in my time I know that one thing people really worry about going into say a competency-based interview is the fact that they may not have evidence of having used a particular skill or behavior at work before because they've not had the opportunity to and I've always wondered how is it that thinking of us as HR teams for anyone listening who works in HR and thinks oh I want to be able to hire based on potential rather than examples of previous performance is that possible? Yeah, I mean, you're looking at more development than selection. So, I mean, a lot of the time I do a lot of selection. So it is looking about people's more immediate ability. But to be honest, you can go back and see where the potential is. I mean, if you believe that we either write with our right hand or our left hand, you know, as in we have innate abilities within us, then if you're asking for somebody to become a creative marketing content writer, and yet they're actually using their other hand, so to speak, in how they operate every day, and they're much more fact-driven, analytical here and now, then that alone would make you think, well, they're not somebody who's going to come up with the next rocket scientist or Dyson gadget or whatever, because they're just not that way inclined. So there are certain attributes in us that you could say that would never really work for them. Um, That isn't who they are or who they'll become. So if you look at the basic characteristics and personality traits that we hold, from that alone, you could tell whether there's potential for them to move in certain areas. Also, if you do measure competence, then you can define what the competence looks like now and what it might look like in the future. And you can ramp people up. We're all capable of growing within the realms of what we're good at. So we can excel and get better. We can learn and grow. But there are some things we'll never be good at. We are naturally going to write with our left hand or right hand. We can't suddenly become that ambidextrous. But within the things that we can do, we can get better. That's really interesting. I hadn't really thought about that before, that you could say this is how we would expect them to be performing or behaving now at this level of competence. But actually, in the future, it could be even more. So I think that could be really helpful when thinking about it from, well, whether it's a recruitment perspective or, like you were saying, a career development perspective. Yes, yeah. I mean, if you are somebody who's good at say in a finance role and you want to know have you got the potential to become the chief financial officer which might be a career path that's 10 years down the line then you could see what technical skills obviously as well as behavioral skills they have that would allow them to progress into that the other thing that I've often 
um, done for companies is build a job families network, which actually is a bit like a, well, snakes and ladders without the, the snakes. But you can actually say, well, in this family, if you want to get to that level, then these are the steps you have to go through and these are the competencies you're going to need to grow and develop and these are the sort of behavioural attributes that you will gain along the way because the competencies are underpinned enough that you can move from now up to here. So you can see a step-by-step or even if you're in, say, a clinical nurse family, which is one I have done for veterinary practices and you want to become a surgeon, then you can still from that see how you could get to do that because it talks about the qualifications you need as well and the the memberships of certain forums you might need to be on or whatever so if you have a career pathway built within your organization then that allows individuals to see I'm here and I want to get there and how on earth am I going to do that so you're creating a pathway based on job families and competencies and then individual attributes. The next idea Sue shared is something that I hadn't really thought about before, and that's how psychometrics can potentially be used to help well-being at work. I thought this was really interesting. The Hogan, which I use a lot, which has got the HDS in it, which is the one that's actually known as the dark side, knowing where we go under pressure and stress and what causes us to burn out is worthwhile, especially when we might be dealing with people in the HR community and the people that we serve within the HR community if we understand what makes us derail then we can help line managers help themselves in helping others where they derail I mean burnout is becoming an increasing pressure again on people but what makes people burn out and what can we do to avoid it I'm very much into the mental health aspects of all of this in trying to understand why we do what we do. I've trained as a mental health first aider, as maybe a lot of you have, knowing that it's increasing in importance, but also having measurements of, you know, what will that mean for this type of person, for that type of person? How can we tell that people are derailing if their personality type is somebody who's more introversion? And that's more than just being introverted but if they sort of have introversion you're not even going to see what causes them to derail necessarily because all their thought processes are managed inside their head so as HR professionals should we be more aware of this is how it will manifest for that type of person who's supporting line managers they're the ones expected to carry everyone else and they've got their own level of pressure greater than it ever was and certainly in having to manage more hybrid teams, people they don't see face-to-face, where lots of the nuances that we would have gleaned in a visual team meeting have been taken away. So it's all about being better equipped as individuals, as teams and as organisations to manage everyone's health and well-being better than perhaps we did three or four years ago. Oh, you're making me want to go and get qualified in (laughs) Hogan now. And um, I am a trained mental health first aider as well, because I completely agree with you. It's just so important. When you were just talking about Hogan, you mentioned HDS. Can I just check what that means? Hogan was developed by Bob Hogan um, and his team in the US. But it is widely used worldwide, in fact. And there's three elements to it, effectively. There's the HPI which looks at how we present ourselves to other people, so how we're seen. And that's got effectively um, seven primary scales and then other scales underneath. But they're all self-report, so you fill out a questionnaire and then it will look at how others see us. So it's looking at ambition, sociability, 
our levels of prudence and inquisitiveness and interpersonal sensitivity amongst other things. Then it's also got a second questionnaire, which is the MVPI, which is motivations, values and preferences inventory. And that looks at the things that actually rock our boat, shall we say, and um, that get us up in the morning and what drives us. So it looks at things like, are we motivated by power, altruism, tradition, security, commerce, um, aesthetic, science? Um, There's even one called hedonism, which is not quite as it's meant to sound, but that looks at our need for fun and variety at work. Um, And then the third one is the HDS, which is the Hogan Development Survey, but has been rebranded very successfully by them as the dark side and that looks at where we go under pressure typically we'd have three to five areas maybe that would come up as areas of strength when they get overplayed they can actually sort of derail us Um, so we all have them we all have somewhere we go when we're stressed or pressurized and then it's what you do about that and what environments might kick that off Hogan is brilliant at looking at a very broad array of attributes that we might hold as individuals and how they may play out in the workplace and what roles as well as that's what I do is I get the data I unpick it and I look at how things hang together and then consider the role the applicant's going for and think about will it play to their strengths or will it play to their weaknesses Um, and then I'll talk it through them and see what they say. Thank you I hadn't realised we were going to get to have such a deep dive into Hogan it's made me really keen to learn more about it I know that that is one of your favourite tools that you use would you be happy to share a couple of other favourites with us as well? Yes, yeah, sure. Um, So another one I use a lot is SHL, the OPQ, which is the Occupational Personality Questionnaire. That covers 32 different traits, which are used every day. I mean, it is one tool I use quite a lot, and it covers not dissimilar things to Hogan in a way, but they're more just straight traits. So that will look at your thinking style, again, attitude to stress, you know, how stressed you might be, how vigorous you might be, where your information gathering attributes might go. Are you more data driven or emotional driven? So again, lots of different things come out of that. And you can pull together something that will end up with the same amount of information so when I ring up a candidate I can say this is what it's telling me how does that feel to you but the bit that I hopefully will add value in looking at is how one attribute might go with another so if somebody's highly vigorous is that driven by anxiousness or is it driven by just need to be busy you know what's actually driving those things how does that fit with one of the other traits that might come up so it's trying to piece the whole thing together rather than just looking at 32 different lines of data I use lots of other trait type tools but another tool I use a lot but I wouldn't use it for selection is Myers-Briggs MBTI and it is one that most people would have come across if they've had any exposure to psychometrics Um, again it's used worldwide but mainly for team development very good for getting over conflict so if you work in a team of people you know you might have thought well I don't quite get on with that person and I can't work out why or we seem to speak a different language they might be more driven by introversion and you're driven by extroversion Um, so that might cause a bit of an issue so the E the, the one with extroversion might think they're always doing all the talking and the I introversion doesn't really contribute anything to meetings they seem very withdrawn we can't really get much out of them and yet if you ask the I at the end of a meeting what they thought about what was said they'll be the ones that will probably give you the greatest most succinct summary having processed everything inside their head whereas to the I 
the E or all the E's together have made a lot of noise and not necessarily come up with anything. Um, that might be me. I'm the E. So <laughs> I'm an E as well. <laughs> so, but equally, another one of the continuums on the MBTI scale is J and P, judging and perceiving. I wouldn't read too much into those words, but the J's are the work first, play later. So they tend to be early for everything, don't like being late. They want everything off their list before they'll even start messing around on a Friday afternoon. Whereas the P's are much more casual, open-ended, spontaneous, go with the flow, can deal with last-minute change to routines, don't really like to be pinned down so much, but they're much more easygoing and, and able to attend a meeting. Probably they might be a bit late if they turn up. And depending on other attributes as well, they might be more relaxed about the whole thing and don't necessarily feel the same need to go through an agenda on time, which might annoy the Js quite a bit. So very different ways of working. And that can cause, of all of the MBTI scales, that's the one that can cause them the most difficulty. You know, the Js want everything closed, finished off the list before they'll start something else. And the Ps never really want anything closed, finished or off the list. So yeah, they're very different ways of working. And I do use that in team exercises, but it's definitely one if you know all of those things about yourself, I think that stands most people in better stead for the whole of their career, even their relationships at home, family, friends, as parents with children, all sorts of things. You know, great one to pick up on. Have you trained in that one? I haven't trained in that one, but lots of what you're saying is making me think of DISC, which I have trained in. Yes, yes, and there are similarities. I agree. It's so helpful for team environments just to help everyone properly realise that we're all different Mm. and we can all get along and actually understanding each other's preferences just makes the world of difference once you understand why the other person is behaving in a different way to you and what that means and that it's not necessarily a bad thing at all. When I first trained in it years ago that's what it made me realise is oh light bulb moment I get it now why I don't quite gel with that person but actually now I know I need to go to them for this and this you know so if I do sort of you know team days or MBTI sessions at the end of it it's worth doing a bit of contracting so you get two people talking to each other about this is who I am this is who you are how does that work what what are the strengths of that dynamic and what are the limitations and how best can we work together so I think it's really powerful and good fun as well it's a nice thing to do and I mean people love talking about themselves and they love expressing where things work and where they don't work with other people so that's you know great useful tool and is the one that I say is most widely known so probably to a lot of the HR community it's the one they know best. It's a great way of opening up that dialogue isn't Mm, it because sometimes if there is friction within a team everyone's sort of dancing around the edges of it not sure how to bring it up and I think it can be a really helpful way of cutting straight through to the issue without causing any sort of blow up or upset in the process yes it's about psychological safety and setting up that process isn't it saying we've got permission to talk about things that might irritate me or might not and what can I do to make work life better for you and vice versa. I've realised that I could just talk to you all day about this and I have so many other questions but to save this from being a sort of three hour podcast (laughs) episode I better start to wrap things up and as you know I always ask every guest on the show if they can share their top non-fiction book recommendation. Are you happy to share what yours is? Yes but I have to have a bit of an admittance of the fact that I don't tend to read that many books cover to cover like that. I tend to dip in and out of them. But two books I was going to suggest, which I've dipped in and out of rather than read. The first one is called The Chimp Paradox 
by Professor Steve Peters, which I assume some of you may have heard of. Have you heard of it? I have it on my bookshelf. And I'm ter- I feel terrible saying this. I have not read it. I've got it on Audible as well. So you've at least dipped in and out of it. I haven't even, I think, got past <laughs> chapter one. But I know it is really highly rated and it's supposed to be brilliant. And it, I mean, it's good because, I mean, I've, I've attended sessions and uh, conferences, psychology conferences, we've had him speak to us. So I've heard it more word of mouth and I have actually read the book but definitely worth a read and even when you said you were going to ask me I thought I really must get round to reading it all cover to cover um but it is a self-help book but it's it is psychology based as well so it's fascinating but it also brings it into everyday working life as well as home life and it talks about you know the different parts of the brain and what they're actually doing and the the sympathetic and the parasympathetic brain which is all getting a bit technical but it is written in a way that all of us can understand um so I definitely recommend that book and the other one is called Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking. Um, And that's written by Susan Kane. And that is very much written on the MBTI subject of introversion and what it really means. So if you are somebody who you think is an introvert or governed by introversion, which is more than just being introverted, but if you are that kind of person, definitely a book that would make you feel empowered just through reading it because I think introversion is something that's quite misunderstood and people are often moved to think that that's not the person they should be and work is actually geared up more to extroversion so a book for the eyes amongst us really worth a read. I have read that one cover (laughs) to cover and I agree it's absolutely brilliant as you just said that I've realized we've talked about introversion and extroversion a few times without clearly defining them I would normally describe extroversion if you're more extroverted rather than introverted then you tend to be energized by being around people whereas if you're introverted you tend to get your energy more by spending time on your own so it's much more important to you that you have your alone quiet time yes they are absolutely that I mean um, it is about energy levels exactly that so you can be a shy extrovert or a socially confident introvert so that's what I mean it is more than just being an extrovert or an introvert it's not about confidence levels so extroversion is about the fact that we plug ourselves into the outer world to get our energy so you know if we're feeling down or low or whatever the best thing we can do is go to a coffee shop and sit there we don't you know we will get energy from that noise we can shut off what's going on around us providing we're not latched into an interesting conversation or a bit of gossip but we will get that energy whereas the opposite is introversion they will burn out if they sit in somewhere too noisy so they plug themselves into themselves their energy comes from within so whereas if an e the extroversion asks an i a question that extroversion is that person is more likely to answer the question as well as ask it and be filling any any quiet time there's no quiet time it's all of this we we're both e's and we're talking very fast and we spar off each other and we're zipping around loads of different conversations and then suddenly we might think oh oh, hold on we need to go back to the beginning we haven't actually got to the answer and we've skimmed 10 subjects in four seconds whereas if an e asks an i a question there'll be a pause before they think because they will think it through before they say something their answer might be quite slow in coming it might be quite short quite succinct and it will just answer the question. They won't necessarily come back with more information or even another question of you. So, I mean, two eyes will sit together quite quietly and maybe not say very much. 
Whereas an E would find that really uncomfortable to sit quietly with another E. And, you know, not all the time when we can do that at home and in other relationships, but we like noise. Um, so there's all of that side of things. So it's about where you do your processing. Do you do it in the outer world? Do you think out loud and formulate ideas through other people? Or do you formulate ideas quietly in your head away from other people? There are other bits but that's it in a nutshell. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Sue. It has just been absolutely fantastic having you on the show today. For anyone who's been listening who thinks, oh, I must find out more about Sue and her work, what is the best way of them getting in touch with you and learning more about your work? Okay, so you can get in touch with me through my website, which is suecolton.co.uk. And hopefully I can help you, but look forward to hearing from anyone who's interested. And are you happy for people to connect with you on LinkedIn as oh, well? Oh, absolutely. Great. Well, yeah. I'll put a link to everything that Sue's just mentioned, including your LinkedIn profile, Sue. I'll pop that in the show notes. So for anyone listening who would like to get in touch with you, they can do that really easily. And all that leaves me to say is a huge thank you. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. I always enjoy talking to you. And thank you for asking such great and interesting questions and for listening. <laughs> you are very welcome. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please can I ask you for a small favour? I'd be hugely grateful if you could do two things for me. Firstly, if you could share the podcast with a friend who you think will find it interesting and useful, that would be brilliant. And secondly, if you could rate and review HR Coffee Time for me on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, that would be wonderful. It makes such a difference in helping the show get discovered by more people. And I would love to help as many HR and people professionals as possible with this free podcast. Thank you so much. And I look forward to being back again next Friday with the next episode.